Welcome to the Remote First Podcast. Every week we invite guests from large or innovative companies to share their insights on enabling an equitable and distributed workplace experience. I'm your host, Daphne Laforêt. Hey everyone, so this is part two of our chat with Brian Elliott from Slack Future Forum, and we're talking about the impact of remote on creativity and innovation. Welcome back, Brian. Great to be back. Thanks for having me. So glad to have you again. I'm so happy to talk about this because it's a very interesting topic. Really often we think that being remote would actually impact the way we are working and uh, the way we are collaborating, the way we are being creative and able to, you know, solve problems together as a team. And the Future Forum has recently done a study on the impact of remote work on creativity and innovation. So what are the main takeaways? So we did the research because, you know, we've all had these conversations with people, or at least I've had these conversations with executives that say, you know, I can't wait to get back in the office because, you know, we need, you know, the conference room and the whiteboard uh, to uh, spur creativity and to drive innovation for our team. And, you know, I know from uh, habits and practices that more of those sessions go wrong than, than go well. Um, and so we wanted to do some research about what was and wasn't working in reality. So we did a, a survey back in March of 760 people in, in the U.S. that were knowledge workers to ask them about their personal um, uh, productivity, their personal ability to be creative and innovative, creating new products, new services, new sales pitches, etc., and their team's ability to, to, be, um, to be creative. And what we found in that was, was counter to that, uh, to, to that sort of conventional wisdom. So conventional wisdom is I need my team back in an office because if they're in an office space at the whiteboard, you know, that's where creativity happens. Our survey showed that regardless of whether you were fully remote, whether you were, you know, hybrid, meaning you were in and out of the office or whether you were fully in the office, there was no difference in your assessment of your team's creativity. Meaning we asked people, you know, is your team creating new products, services, processes, et cetera? And the answers were basically the same across all of those. And so it didn't have anything to do with what people, you know, where people were located. What it did have to do with were key elements of how your team uh, feels safe together. So there were a couple of uh, real key elements. One was your willingness to take risks as a team. Are you willing to experiment? Are you willing to try new things? Are you willing to fail? Do you feel supported in doing so? When we asked people that question, the difference was teams that felt like they're, they were able to be, you know, to, to take risks had, a, had twice the um, score on their team's creativity of those that said that they didn't feel uh, that they were uh, better off taking risks. The second was, what's my ability to ask my teammates for help? Do I feel like I am in a team where I can raise my hand and ask a question or ask for help? And again, on that one, also 2x you know, the, the, the out, outcome in terms of team-level creativity. And both of those come back to psychological safety, right? We Psychological safety often gets tossed in this label of, you know, you West Coast psychobabble, blah, blah, blah. But it's real. It's, it's your ability to actually um, take risks as a team, your ability to feel like you've got the backing of your team that you can ask the inappropriate question is really what's going to help make your team more creative, much more so than being in a shared space together. But you could still fail at working remote because you don't have that psychological safety. Because- Absolutely. So it's not, it's not the office, it's actually no. just the culture or the way of work that would make it fail or, or succeed. Exactly. It's, it's do you have leaders that create a culture that allows for experimentation, that allows for failure, that makes room for 
that to be safe to to you know experiment in ways in which you know that are non-destructive to understand each other as people better and uh, this was interesting this came out of um, conversations we had we also had a, a set of academics besides the survey we brought a set of um, academic experts on creativity and collaboration together for a summit and anita woolley uh, one of the professors said it's not just about um, that that set of relationships that you that you build with each other that engenders trust it's also small wins so experiments and trying new things that are small that also yield small wins also builds momentum right so small wins build trust uh, trust get creates psychological safety and that's how you get creativity and innovation not um i'll take the opposite side of it like i am a loud-mouthed white guy uh, I've been the loudmouth white guy at the front of the room with the pen during a brainstorming session, writing things down on the board. The the instant you do that as a process, especially if you do it poorly, you're just getting into groupthink, right? You're the people in the room who are introverts just sort of fall back on their hands and, and don't participate. So there's a there's a, a key element to this, which is how do you invite a diverse group of thoughts into the conversation, different perspectives, uh, different challenges and not automatically resort to filtering things out because it might not be safe or it might not be right, or um, I'm not the person to say that. So how do you do that, for example, if you are having a session, a brainstorming session, maybe on a, on a call, on a Zoom call, like what we're having right now, and you wanna make sure that all the team is being included so that you know everybody can be part of the same creativity mindset and be part of that so innovation. So here's an example of how we've done it in ourselves internally. So even in the first round of our research results that we put out back in the fall, um, the, the first step of the process was the research team uh, uh, and the researcher who worked on the project specifically put together like a 80 page long report, like all of the findings that came out of the research and, and a lot of data. And what we had was we had a team of people that was diverse from both a background, but also from a functional perspective. We had people that were marketing, people that were communications, people that were um, content creators, people that were executive spokespeople, et cetera, six or seven of us. And what we said was, I want, instead of us coming together and just talking about it, about what we think is the most important stuff, I want people to take a week with, with that, carve out two hours of your time over the course of the next week, notifications off, read through that report, pull out what you think are the three to five most important, most uh, insightful observations, write them down for yourself. And at the start of the meeting, when we met, we said to everybody, great, now here's a blank Google Doc, just toss your ideas into the blank Google Doc. So brain writing up front to generate ideas, then tossing them all into the doc at the same time meant that people weren't pre-filtering themselves. They weren't coming into it, having thought, having seen what I wrote, for example, mm. and saying, well, if Brian wrote that, am I okay writing this? Hey there, just taking a few seconds to mention our sponsor, Remotive.io, who is an awesome supporter for this podcast. Since 2014, Remotive is helping top distributed companies hire remote workers. Going Remote has opened your company to the world, so Going Remotive will channel your jobs to the best talents out there. So that process itself, that, that process of brain writing before brainstorming really helps people, especially those who otherwise might not raise their voices in the room, people who need more time to think about something as opposed to actively doing it in the moment, to have the time and space to do that. And honestly, even just that heads down time is super important because 
It's how you actually spend the time to think about something uh, concretely. And so what we then did is you've then got this list of ideas. Great. Everybody take 10 minutes, read everybody else's stuff. Now let's talk. So at that point, you've got a common base and a range of ideas. And that range of ideas you know, can be more good ideas and more bad ideas. Some of mine were atrocious. Um, but at least you're not um, pre-filtering things before you come into the conversation. Basically, what I'm hearing is come prepared to a meeting. Because <laughs> in the end, you know, this would be the same thing if, if you were in an office and, you know, maybe there is just this natural aspect that people just, you know, jump in, in and out of meetings and all the time and they just kind of like, this is the way they're working. Now it's like, well, we want you to have the space to think and then come and provide all your thoughts on a, on a topic. Yeah, absolutely. And there's an element of um, one of the principles that we've been talking about a lot, or one of the, the guidelines is um, flexibility with predictability. So if you think about how you create a more effective, um, uh, more flexible way of working, it also has to be predictable for people. And so if you say to somebody, I need your best thinking by 4 p.m. today and it's two o'clock in the afternoon, you're probably not going to get their best thinking, right? Because their day wasn't geared around a sudden emergency situation. If instead you say, a week from today, we're going to talk about this, or even two days from now, we're going to talk about this proposal, um, I want you to review it. You're at least giving them time to think ahead of time. The, the, the default backup on all this stuff is, I'll just give you like the, the world's most common meeting problem. You show up for the meeting. You're not sure what the agenda is. There's a whole bunch of you in the room and somebody says, oh, by the way, I've, I've got a, a, a proposal. I'm just going to walk you through it. Uh, okay, now you've you got a group that's being mm-hmm. walked through a presentation, right? What if instead you simply said, make sure there's an agenda up front, obviously. But what if you instead said, look, even if nobody had time to read the content ahead of time, take the first five to ten minutes of the meeting and let people read the content for themselves. Then start the conversation, moderate the conversation, have the conversation. But that way, at least you're getting people to a common base of knowledge and understanding that then makes for a more effective conversation as opposed to feeling like I could have done this asynchronously. I could have, you know, read this ahead of time. So flexibility with predictability means that you give people the time and space to do the work, uh, but that you also make sure that, you know, when you are together as a group, the time is being used effectively. Mm. It seems like just since last year, people have just seen all the pains or the process problems that was in a company, for example, in the way we were working, because now that they, couldn't, they were not in person anymore, they really had to think about the process they're using to do their, their job. Because everything you're saying to me, I feel like would work in an office space and would work remotely. It's not necessarily like a link between we're remote, so there is a difference in how we're able to get stuff done. It's like we're remote now, we have no idea how to work with the process, so now we are lo- we are lost. <laughs> this is basically That's what right. you're saying. No, and, and that would work. I think where it also becomes interesting is think about it when you have some people in the office and some people not in the office. Those are the most challenging situations that I think people are grappling with these days. And that's again where this flexibility with predictability matters. So I'll give you two other quick examples. One is back to that brainwriting and brainstorming conversation. One of the ways to make sure that that works equally well uh, for people who are in the office and people who are remote is when you do come together and meet, the, the process that you're using for gathering and pulling those ideas together is a digital tool. It can be mur- uh, Mural, it can be Miro, it can be a Google Doc, 
it can be whatever tool you want to use, but that way someone who's remote sees the same thing that people you know, in the room see. And the other is this simpler rule around one dials in, all dial in. Don't go back into the, you know, the conference room where six of you are sitting in one place with a camera on and there's three people who cannot, for the life of them, see or understand what's going on, right? Find a way to have a more distributed physical presence. So that, that's one side of it. The other is the, just even that back to that, some people in the office, some not. Flexibility with predictability means instead of thinking about like what you know, day of the week your team comes in, think about like we're going to have the monthly multi-day gathering. And, and companies who've been all remote get this, but companies who haven't you know, don't necessarily. How do I think about the, the week of the month that my team comes together that's planned in advance so that people who have childcare situations or caregiving situations can plan for it. They have predictability, but they know there's going to be three or four days that are going to involve a lot of time together as a team where you are working on, you know, challenging problems, but where you are also having meals together, where you are, you know, having, you know, networking sessions where you're getting to know one another. And that flexibility with predictability becomes really important if you want to make sure that that, again, that that, diverse group of people with a lot of different trade-offs uh, feels like they're, they are equitably part of the team. And I think also what you're saying is true in we are bringing a pe- team together for the first time after a month, for example, and we say we're going to do some workshops and maybe sessions together for creativity, for example, that are in person. But because it happens maybe once in a while, these sessions are going to be very, be very, very productive because they're well planned, well organized, and it makes so much more sense to have them that way. Yeah. Yeah. If you're planning them more in advance, you'll spend more time thinking up front about what are the, what are the goals that you want to accomplish? Um, Sheila Subramanian, who's one of our, our key partners on this, uh, on the Future Forum, has this great piece that she wrote about, um, team home sites, right? Uh, because people are used to doing the, the offsite. But uh, narrow yourself down to what are the, the, the two objectives that you've got of coming together as a team. And preferably one of those is a cultural objective and one is a business objective, right? What is the cultural objective that you've set for yourselves around relationship building, around getting to know one another? How are you investing time in your agenda together for that? And the other one is, you know, what's, what's the big thing that you're there to accomplish together? And making sure that you've thought through that really well and how you're going to pull that together makes for just a much more productive um, uh, time together, which is hugely valuable and what a lot of people want these days. Mm-hmm. When you get on, on the camera, when you get on an online meeting, I think that leaders, managers, those who are having to get the team together kind of have to become some sort of a facilitator be able to be the one who's going to bring the team together and um, make sure that everybody is seen, everybody has a voice. Um, this is the main skill I feel like uh, managers have to learn or relearn on how to do this. And after that, it's going to be in hybrid, so <laughs> even more challenging. I, I think the, the, one of the things we've seen in our research consistently is that middle managers themselves are feeling the squeeze much more so than individual contributors or senior executives. Their um, productivity uh, uh, is worse, their work-life balance is worse, their ability to manage work-related stress is worse. And it's often because we've um, under-equipped them from a, from a training and a tooling perspective. If you are, especially if you're a frontline manager, you're, you're now dealing with more personnel issues than you ever have before because of all the challenging situations that 
people have gone through in their lives in terms of healthcare issues, family issues, spouse who potentially lost a job issues, just the, the litany is really hard. And so it's, there's challenge on that side. But the other is, you know, your traditional first time manager often, you know, is in a company where the, the, the training is pretty basic and the focus is a little bit too much on, you know, management by walking around or on, mm. you know, how am I making sure that people are doing work? And so we literally see this in our, in our tracking survey from a standpoint of like one of the key problems that people cite, which is um, keeping track of my team's work and the status of their work is a challenge. The, the worst part is they then tend to add status meetings onto people's calendars. So yet another you know, half hour to an hour long Zoom meeting, which degrades team performance and degrades team productivity. Um, and so how do you help uh, managers figure out how to do that sort of status tracking in digital tools while you save the team time together for deeper problem solving or just for team building and team bonding? Uh, because we need to help managers figure out how to get out of the job of being a human router of information and help them become, you know, social and emotional leaders of teams, help them, you know, help people understand what's the purpose, what's the objective, help them understand and clarify priorities uh, so that people don't burn out. Um, so that we just sort of see that consistently. There's a real need to give middle managers, you know, tactical tips and tools to help them um, kind of uh, lead from higher purpose. So if you, if you were to do a training for, for, man, for mid management, what would you focus on? So there's, there's a couple of things that we've been doing and we've seen working at Slack and I've seen working in other companies. Um, first of which is just creating networking opportunities for managers among themselves. So one of the, one of the challenges that they often face is, you know, senior executives already have their network. They have other people they can call on for advice. If you're a frontline manager, often you don't have that. So how do you build networks for them? How do you start gathering groups of them moderated by maybe a more senior leader or manager or moderated by someone in HR that helps them share what they're going through, helps them share case studies and examples of how do I deal with this situation with this person, whether it's how do I balance out you know, the personal issues someone's going through with performance issues, whether it's how do I track status like build, help them build networks. Second is give them very tactical help and advice. Help them understand here is the way in which we as a, as a team, as a company want to track status. It's done on the schedule. It's done using this tool. It's here's where you post it. It's here's where you do it. At Slack, the product design and engineering team went from a massive Monday morning meeting that was a status check to a um, in-channel process that then had an escalation process attached to it for the things that were most important to talk through live. So give them tactical ways to do that, but also give them tactical ways to help manage their team in, in one-on-ones. So here's, here's sort of a couple of tricks. One is in a one-on-one, -on -one, make sure that you're really clear about what the priorities are. Make sure that you're both aligned on what's the most important thing. And, and, if you, uh, and, and make sure that you're able to have the conversation that says, is that achievable, you know, yes or no? Because you have to make it safe for employees to say no, and they're not going to do that if you don't have this as just a regular habit and practice. Then second, take that information, make sure that those priorities that you've talked about are transparently shared with everybody. So in your project's Slack channel, in a broader channel, making sure you're, everybody gets, this is number one, this is number two, and this is number three. There's so much stress on people these days that shared understanding of priorities and, and what's most important 
becomes really critical to individual performance and to team performance. You, you get out of this world of, of uncertainty and you get even then the debates about should that be prioritized that way, at least it's out in the open and you can have the conversation. So from a manager perspective, help them build networks, give them tactical ways to share status and information and give them um, help and guidance on like how to run one-on-ones, how to make sure that you've got clarity on priorities, how to say no. And one last one, escalate. That's People often think escalation. Yeah, escalations often gets, you know, can be a bad word. I was at Google uh, for a number of years and uh, Urs was famous for what was called the Urs Manifesto, which actually had this thing about escalations being a good thing. Managers are there to handle escalations. Teams naturally get into conflict because their missions are not the same, right? So as a manager, it is your job to take escalations from your team to try to resolve them because that's why you're there. But it's also your job to take ones that you can't resolve and move them up. Um, So escalations are actually a good thing. If you are at loggerheads on priorities um, across a couple of teams, you need to bring that, you know, up the food chain uh, and get it resolved. I'm so glad you mentioned that last one as a bonus because I feel like this is like mid-management doing this since last year. I've been very burned out because of having to deal with a lot of employees having difficulty or like, you know, having misunderstanding and everything and not having the tools or like the the training to be able to handle a lot of like personal situation, like prioritizing what is work, what is like personal, what what was the priority on, on, on to make sure that my team keeps their good well-being you have a lot on your shoulders and um, it's also good to know that as a manager you also have um, support from the upper level in, in this case so i'm glad that you mentioned that yeah i'll also give credit where it's due um, ali rail who runs our uh, customer experience and our foundations team at slack mm-hmm. was actually spearheading a lot of this back in the in the summer and fall across the entire organization because everybody was seeing the same thing which is a lot of manager, a lot of individual burnout, a lot of managerial burnout, and a lot of people needing help figuring out how to prioritize work. And it's just really important to even note the the that it's okay to escalate issues, right? You, you have to make it okay for people. Totally. Thank you so much, Brian. It's been such a good time to talk to you and to get all your your thoughts and knowledge around a topic and everything you've learned. So thank you so much for joining me today for this last episode on the, on the Future Forum. Thank you very much for having me. It's been great. Thank you for tuning in to Remote First. You can find all links and show notes in the episode description. And if you found value in this show, we'd love your rating on your listening app of choice. Thank you for being here. See you next time.